Welcome to episode 38 of The Route, a glorified sports business coffee chat that has a new guest every episode as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Chris Renesmento, and let's get started. Today's episode is officially the first episode I'm coming to you guys from the boonies. For those of you that know what the boonies are, I'm in the absolute middle of nowhere. With that said, you would know that if you followed us at Nesmento Marketing on social media. So do that right now. I'll give you a few seconds. Okay, good. Now that we're back, what I was about to say was I'm uh, I'm officially in the forest. I'm here at my cottage full time now. Have a perfect view of the lake. Sunset's going down. Golden hour, as they say. And yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, have the whole office set up at the cottage now. I have a streaming area right behind me, ready to go for the PS5 release and maybe Xbox Series X as well. And, you know, have all the whiteboards and all the good stuff going, which means there's just a bunch more projects coming around the corner. So that's pretty exciting for you guys. But in terms of today's episode, we have a fantastic guest set up for you guys. I'm pretty excited just in terms of, you know, keeping it different and unique. Today's guest comes from the PLL. So that's the Premier Lacrosse League, which is a new league that's been around for about two years now, I believe. And, you know, they're doing things a little differently, which is very cool. They don't have any teams that are set up in specific cities. It's touring based. And personally, I view this league as one that's built for the future. The reason I say this is, first off, it was built in more recent times, what, 2018, 2019, whereas most other um, major league sports, such as baseball, hockey, NBA, NFL, they've been around for decades, maybe even 100 years now. And they were kind of developed in older times where they're going on tradition and all different things like that. Whereas this league is really developed on what's needed and what's desired in today's world. Whether it's broadcasting partners, um, technology, fan engagement, different things like that. And that's what I find they really focus on. And we kind of get into that at the end of the episode when we talk about Courtney's um, position. But in the meantime, we go through her whole route, which is fantastic, really amazing. And I think you guys will enjoy that as well. And you know what? I think that's it. I think we'll just go straight into today's episode. And I hope you guys enjoy it as always. I'd now like to welcome someone with experience in events and operations, specifically with Octagon, ESPN, Tough Mudder, and now the Premier Lacrosse League as their senior manager of events and product. Courtney Ellis, welcome to the route. How's it going? Good, Chris. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks for joining us. Um, one of the things I just kind of want to get into as soon as we, you know, start recording with every guest is kind of taking us through your career route. So do you mind taking us where you went to school and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am a Northeast girl, born and raised. Um, so I, I grew up in Norwalk, in Norwalk, Connecticut, and I went to college, uh, Ithaca College in upstate New York. Um, it's totally beautiful up there. I loved it. Um, and then settled down in New York City and the Connecticut area uh, for my career. Um, and right out of school, um, actually, I guess I'll take one step back. Uh, I first became interested in um, the sport and event industries by doing a, an internship with WWE. Um, I interned for them my sophomore year of college, and um, I got to go to one of the SmackDown events, 
And um, I was taken backstage and saw the, all the huge wrestlers and, uh, you know, operations people running around with radios and food being served over here and like kind of locker rooms, offices over there. And then the wrestlers would walk out on the stage with these huge, like, you know, fire blasts, um, which was really cool. But I, I thought it was so interesting to see all the behind the scenes chaos that the fans don't get to see. Um, and yeah. then, you know, the great, somewhat seamless product on stage um, is what you do all that hard work for backstage. So um, I that's when I first knew I was like, man, I want to be a part of this fast paced environment and be in events. Um, so when I graduated college, I um, had run a Tough mutter, and I thought, uh, again, what a cool experience. How awesome would it be to go and build uh, obstacle courses across the country? And um, I applied and didn't get the job originally. They said, you need a little bit more experience. Um, and so I went and worked for Octagon Sports and worked on their BMW account and traveled around the country Um driving BMW four series, um, here and there, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, there, there was a, a larger team that actually drove them all around the country. I'll be honest. I just drove them in a couple of cities, um, to yeah. kind of transfer them to the next spot. But, um, I, I worked that job for a little over maybe like seven months, um, and came back to Tough Mudder and said, Hey, I got the experience you asked for. I, I'm, still really interested in working for Tough Mudder and um, I got the job. So really, um, I, I say I grew up personally and professionally at Tough Mudder. I was there for a little over four years um, and was, you know, consistently promoted in the operations department and just learned a ton from each of my roles um, there and traveling the country and uh, turning blank cow fields into a festival and extreme obstacle course. So um, that was, it's really kind of the bulk of my event experience was at Tough Mudder. Um, I had a stint at ESPN where um, I was a contractor for the X Games. And it was really cool that um, Tough Mudder, I was working for Tough Mudder full time and they allowed me to take off nearly a month um, between my Tough Mudder events to go get this experience with the X Games. Um, there was a group of us that did that maybe like eight or so Tough Mudder employees that kind of had just a, a gap between our event schedules. And we went to go work the Minneapolis Summer X Games, which was very different. It was a very different experience than Tough Mudder. I think um, Tough Mudder was more like a, a startup environment still, even though I was they were probably like in their seventh year. Um, but we had pretty lean teams, whereas it was very interesting to see how ESPN, a more established, longstanding company, um, had more of those staff resources on site. And we played a smaller role than what we played at Tough Mudder because we were just a contractor. That's fine. Um, but it was great to meet all of the you know, event contractors and, um, you know, the full-time employees at ESPN there and see the, the X Games product. That was really fun. Um, and then I, uh, you know, heard about the PLL launching 
and um, heard they were looking for an events manager. And I reached out and sort of similar to my Tough Mudder experience, didn't get the job at first, um, but kept in touch with PLL and came back, I don't know, maybe a year later and said, hey, I'm still interested um, and got the job a second time. So one thing I think that sticks out in my route is persistence. If I wanted a job, really wanted it, I made sure I, I stuck with it, got the experience that I needed to get the job and, and kept um, staying in contact until I got it. So um, now I'm at PLL and I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's an amazing route. And just kind of going back to the start before we touch on <clears throat> all the little things that you're, you're mentioning, mm-hmm. uh, just going back to WWE, did you say, or correct me if I'm wrong here, did you say that at WWE is when you realized, hey, like this is this is what I need to do? Or was it maybe right before joining, you're like, oh, I want to do this and I'm going to try the WWE um, event to see if I like it? Um, it was at WWE. I think I, I just really, like, I had a, a family um, contact who was working for WWE and I was just looking for a first internship and worked in their marketing department um, and got to go to one of the events. So when I was at the event, I was like, wow, I want to be at working at an event rather than sitting at a desk, um, which, you know, working in events is not all <laughs> just being on site at events. There's certainly desk and office work, but I, that's, I wanted a hybrid uh, of a job where I got to travel, work on my feet, work with people in person. Um, and also, you know, that, that office side as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you, I've noticed this maybe with more of the American guests where they kind of touch on their internships. And I think there's, correct me, like you need some credits or hours to get to graduate, right? It depends um, on your school and your your major, but yes, that's very common. Because I I noticed this too, because myself being, I I went to to school for marketing um, and here there's kind of a difference between universities and colleges. And I noticed all the colleges they kind of have a requirement to have internships throughout your, your degree. But then for university, you kind of just go with, you know, get your degree done and go on from there. But now once you're finished, I kind of look back on and hear all these different routes, such as yours and others, that it really seems uh, the forced internship hours really helps people decide where they want to go and get that, that experience they may have needed. Um, and then just mm-hmm. kind of building on where you're saying, where you're trying to get with Tough Mudder, and you didn't get it the first time. And they said, hey, like, come back and or you need more experience. And that's pretty interesting because from everything you said about Tough Mudder, it really said or it really seemed like they put a high standard on getting experience, whether it's before you joined. And then even once you're there, like trying different events, like going to the Summer X Games as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely um, it, it was not an easy peasy job. Uh, you had to really, really work hard. And I think they, they needed to see that um, before they hired you. It's kind of my, my interpretation. <laughs> yeah. What, so what specifically did they say to you? They're like, Hey, like get specific event experience or was it just experience as a whole, like out of college? Like, what was it? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, okay. I, so I, I kind of breezed over this part. Um, when I was going through my route, but originally right out of college, I worked for, um, a shoe company 
in sales and marketing. And um, I knew, you know, that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in events and sports. Um, so uh, I, when I applied to Tough Mudder, I only had that sales and marketing experience from the shoe company um, mm -hmm. and WWE um, and a couple other internships. But yeah, I, I think they were more focused on me getting event experience um, in particular. And they said, hey, you know, we like you. You have a good personality. Um, you know, we, we think you'd work hard here, but you'd need a little bit more event experience. And then when I came back with that experience from Octagon, they, um, you know, applauded my effort and said, like, wow, you, you really did what we asked you. Um, you're serious about this. So, um, yeah, then they gave me the job. <laughs> yeah, what, what, that sounds cool. Um, just in terms of maybe touching on Octagon, because Octagon's a pretty big um, company as a whole. Uh, you're saying how Tough Mudder was kind of a startup at the time or startup environment. How were you able to go from, you know, not getting the job at Tough Mudder, but then getting involved with such a, a large company like Octagon? Mm -hmm. um, well, back to uh, working for the shoe company, I... Okay. I left that role to go to Octagon um, for a much lower paying role. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were, sorry, Octagon was hiring for a seasonal role um, with a, a lower uh, compensation than what I was making at the shoe company, but I was willing to do it because I knew I didn't really want to be doing what I was doing at the shoe company. I wanted to get into events. I wanted to see, you know, Octagon, like you said, like such a, a big um, sports marketing agency. I could, I knew I could learn so much. And Octagon, I think since it was a seasonal role, they were willing to kind of take someone with very little experience um, and put them right into that entry-level role. And I certainly learned a lot there. Um, about sports and events and just, um, you know, the corporate world in general. Um, yeah. But what I learned there was that I, um, Octagon as an agency, you know, I was, I was working on the BMW account, I was working for uh, a client. And I, I felt, you know, if I was going to put in a, a bunch of my time and effort, I would prefer to do it on the property side and, and working you know, for example, for Tough Mudder, I, I'm working for this product that, um, you know, Tough Mudder owns and, and is rather than working for kind of a client and their their goals, if that makes sense. That, that's interesting. No, no, that for sure makes sense and kind mm -hmm. of interesting way you put it there. Um, and this kind of seems like it's all going back to what you said, how one of the key, I guess you could say, themes of your career is kind of the persistence where you knew you wanted to get into events and operations. And then you're willing to, you know, take the lower compensation, go to Octagon to eventually get to Tough Mudder, even in events and operations as a whole. Mm -hmm. And now kind of going into Tough Mudder, you kind of mentioned this briefly earlier. You're saying designing courses. Were you actually like part of designing all these crazy tracks? <laughs> um, that was not my specific role. Um, I'll yeah. touch on my roles really quickly. So I started as... Um, an event coordinator, which was uh, more kind of on the, um, like doing admin tasks, booking travel, hotel rooms, um, managing volunteers and supporting um, the larger event team. Mm -hmm. And then um, I moved up to uh, 
a festival supervisor, and that's um, the festival side of the Tough Mudder event. So Tough Mudders uh, consist of a festival where you check in, you have all your vendors, your partners, games, music, and you start the obstacle course there. And then the obstacle course is about uh, 10 miles. They've kind of changed their format over time, but um, obstacle course is 10 miles, 20 obstacles, and then you go all around the property and then you come back to the festival to get your finisher beer and kind of have a little bit of a party before you, you head off. Um, so I designed the festival part and then I became, I'm an operations manager, which oversees, um, the festival, the obstacle course, um, parking, safety, emergency management, um, and is sort of the, the main contact and head of uh, the event operation. So um, I I didn't I wasn't directly involved in creating the courses, but once I was a, in a, an operations manager, I oversaw um, our course manager who would create the courses. And it's pretty fun. You get to ride around on a UTV all day. Uh, you know, say, oh yeah, here's the perfect spot to dig. A, you know six foot hole and fill it with water and put this, uh, you know, scaffolding over it for people to swing across. Um, and then at the end you have to fill it in and turn it back into a cow field. Um, so it was definitely (laughs) unique, um, but super fun. No, yeah, for sure. And it kind of seems like everything you have said so far is kind of bridging in nicely one experience to the next where I think you said initially, kind of wanted that hybrid experience where it's kind of business-like but also you know moving around on your feet at wwe mm-hmm. and then you're saying how you went to octagon but then you kind of really wanted to focus more on the, the specific product rather than working for a client mm-hmm. so it's a tough mutter and now it seems like you're at uh, the premier lacrosse league and you're doing uh, events and the product so do you want to maybe touch on your, your current uh, position now yeah sure um So at PLL, um, we are a startup league. We only launched in 2018, uh, and we've had two seasons. Uh, One, which is our typical season format, uh, which is a tour-based model where we take our seven teams and travel them around the country. Um, And that means, you know, taking the NBA, for example, there's no New York Knicks. It's just Mm -hmm. the Knicks. Um, so there's no city home base for each team. Our players live all over the country, some in Canada, and we fly them out to one, um, event market for lacrosse games, um, each weekend. And we typically have about uh, anywhere from 10 to 15 weekends. So, um, that was an, a normal season format. And then unfortunately, 2020 threw us a curveball with COVID-19. And we had to um, operate in a bubble. And we did that in Utah for a, a three-week tournament, uh, quarantined, fanless. And it was a new challenge. It was a difficult challenge, but it was super rewarding to even be able to have a season. And not only was it just like, oh, yeah, we, we can throw it together. We can do it. It was really, really good. Um, yeah. we, our partner, our broadcast partner is NBC. They were with us the whole way. We had a ton of games on NBC between that uh, during that three week time period. 
um, because it was during when the Olympics were going to originally air before they were yeah. postponed to 2021. Um, so I guess those that's like kind of our the overview of our league and our, our season formats. And, and what I do in my role is um, <laughs> anything from the, gosh, like venue search to uh, scheduling our uh, games with NBC and determining the team matchups to um, still participating in travel and hotels, um, our kind of trucking and logistics. We have three to four uh, semi-trailers that travel around the country to wherever our events are, and they carry all of our equipment that we unload and set up and then pack up again at the end of the weekend. And then um, when we can have fans, um, I'm responsible for the fan experience on site at the events. And that's that product side of my, mm-hmm. my role is um, we have what we call the premiere zone. It's uh, the festival area that um, fans can um, have fun in before they enter the stadium and watch lacrosse games. Um, right. So, yeah, I guess do you have specific questions about some of the things I I mentioned, and I'm not sure if that was a decent enough overview. No, no, that was that was amazing. Yeah, I so I actually I've heard of the Premier Lacrosse League because uh, I think I've heard like Paul Rabel on various podcasts, maybe read some articles as well. And it really seems like uh, the PLL is kind of taking, like, kind of you already said, a different approach where it's more of um, what is it, tournament based or touring based? I should Tour-based, say, yep. where it's not specific, uh, like New York Knicks, uh, Kansas City. You know what I mean? Not having specific right. cities be the the home base for the different teams. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty unique because you're kind of going to the customer. So I always thought that was cool when I first heard about the league. Mm-hmm. And something else, I think I heard Paul say this on a, one of the podcasts, it was how the, you guys kind of identified that, how important a media partner was. And that's why you, you went with NBC Sports. Mm-hmm. You're starting to get in front of all these uh, people specifically like this year, rather than watching the Olympics, NBC really needed you know some sports to come on. And that's your perfect partner, right? Where they started pushing you guys. And it also seems like there's an understanding that, um, for instance, the way the teams look, I find are, they're kind of, they're cool. Like kids would want to wear a hat or the different logos that mm. are part of these different teams where sometimes I wouldn't say history kind of holds teams back, but they, they don't try new things, right? You're not going to see like the Toronto Maple Leafs start having some chrome emblems on their mm-hmm. as their as their their logo so i really thought that was cool and um yeah i don't know if there's anything you want to touch in terms of maybe working with nbc and what it's like because you kind of touched on how espn is such a large entity and then being able to, to work with nbc too must be must be huge yeah sure so nbc they the getting a, a broadcast partner was a huge piece of being able to, to launch the league. Now, I wasn't yeah. here um, when they started the partnership or when we first launched. I joined a couple months after, um, but I knew that was like one of the main pieces that PLL needed to to break through, right? Like the, to, to be able to um, come on into the sports scene and make a make a name for ourselves. 
Um, and NBC, I think, is really excited to partner with us because, like you said, we're new. We're in an innovative league. We're doing stuff that other leagues are not. Um, they're willing to try new things with us. For example, I think we were, I believe we were one of the first leagues that um, mic'd up players during the game. Yeah. And so we have mics in the helmets and our um, commentators will be talking to our players as they're on the field. And I don't know if you've seen some clips, but, you know, sometimes yeah, yeah. the guys are, you know, heavy breathing and and sometimes we're, we're listening in just to hear kind of the chirps or, you know, uh, what they're saying to their own teammates or other teammates. But other times our NBC commentators ask them questions like, hey, how was that, you know, how did you think about um, that pass going into that goal or whatever? And, um it's funny when the, the players have to say, oh, I got to go. Like, I got to play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're just catching their breath. Or sometimes they say, I don't know, I blacked out. I forget how I did it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been really fun. And, and um, going into the championship series, NBC really wanted to make sure that it looked great on TV, that the games looked awesome. So we were scouting the tournament um, and the games that, um, excuse me, that we were scouting the stadium and the games that were being played by the NWSL, the, the women's soccer league, um, right before us. And we were getting down to like, okay, this time of day isn't great for games because the sun is glaring straight into the cameras. Um, there's this playground that needs to be covered up on the side. Like, what are we going to use to cover it up? It doesn't look great. How are we going to fill empty bleachers and make it look sharp, but also still engaging for the fans? Are we going to do crowd noise? Are we going to pipe it in? Are we going to do something else? Um, so they're, they were, they've always been great in working with us and trying new things and just really making the lacrosse competition the, the highlight of you know the product on TV. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you were mentioning uh, the um, the lighting, I guess, where, when the sun goes, because this mm -hmm. past season I was working with uh, Athletico Ottawa and we had a bubble in PEI. And since I was doing, you know, marketing communications, I was the one um, communicating with our, you know, media partners. So whether it's specific game times, game notes, et cetera, things like that. And then I remember, when, I think maybe the first few games, they weren't really – uh, the, you, you never really know when the sun's going to set until you're there, right? And yeah. how the lighting looks. Mm -hmm. So then I remember we were starting to change all the game times because of the, the sunlight. And then we were like, oh, who would have thought that the sun would have been the one changing uh, game times and things like that. So that was pretty mm -hmm. interesting. But going back to the PLL, I think you're touching on how you guys are really innovative. And I, I totally agree with that, where you're saying how there's like mics in the helmets, mm -hmm. um, there's that festival pregame. Mm -hmm. I think it's a whole environment that a lot of maybe the major four leagues aren't doing because they're like, oh, they're, they can't do it because it'd be changed and the fans wouldn't like it. But I find a lot of things you guys are doing are almost what like the NHL being a huge hockey fan, they try doing in, let's say like an all-star game where they put mics in the helmets, where they try new camera angles, where they have these different festivals all the time. But I find that PLL is kind of doing all these different things throughout their whole season, which makes it so much, it seems like the perfect league for 2020, right? You're utilizing technology, you're creating an environment because everyone wants to 
have unique experiences, right? They don't want to just sit down and, and watch the product on the field, but they want to make sure that if they're spending X dollars to go do something on Saturday, they want to make sure they're getting like the best bang for the buck where mm-hmm. it's maybe getting beer, having a fun time before the game, watching great um, entertainment on the field, but then being completely satisfied as a whole. So I think you guys do that amazingly well and something I'm definitely uh, tracking, whether it's just listening to podcasts and reading different articles. Mm-hmm. And then one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on as well is you're saying how the league really needed or was looking for a broadcasting partner mm-hmm. to, to get going. And uh, it's just crazy to think because you hear all these different leagues that are starting up, whether it's, um, I don't know, like they're trying to bring Aussie football to, to Canada, different things like that. And it always seems a little hard to get going and bring on these big uh, companies, whether it's NBC, Adidas, anything like like that. Do you maybe want to touch on how you guys were able to to bring in such big brands into a new league? Yeah. Um, so I I will give credit to uh, Mike and Paul Rabel, who are our co-founders. Um, they are incredibly passionate. And you can hear their passion and their energy in everything they say. Um, And you can see it in everything that they do. And they've certainly led our internal team to to be um, passionate and excited and engaged with the product. Uh, I have no lacrosse background. And now I'm a lacrosse fan um, because I work for PLL, sure. But like our product is just so great and exciting and fast paced. Um, but I, I digress. So, um, yeah, I think Mike and Paul, um, they took a ton of meetings, um, starting off, you know, when we were launching the league and they know that partnerships are very, very important to a business. Um, and they, you know, when they're in meetings, they're not trying to get people to believe them. I think, you know, it's, it's, you can see it, right away. You can hear it right away. They're super passionate. Um, and the fact that we do have our NBC partnership, we have kind of the awareness piece and, and exposure piece that brands might be looking for. Um, so, and then also credit goes to our amazing um, business development team. Um, and, and we are a startup. We have, we have very small teams. We are, our business development team is like three or four people, I think. Um, and our ops team is two full-time people. So it's, um, we're, <laughs> we're busting our butts over here, working really hard, trying mm-hmm. to, um, you know, bring brands on, build relationships and put on great events. So um, I think what's been key is just that, that passion and that infectious uh, energy for lacrosse um, that Mike and Paul have brought to the team. And then in turn, um, you know, display that when they're meeting with prospective partners. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. And kind of going back to you here, you're touching on how maybe working at PLL made you a fan of lacrosse. Mm-hmm. You maybe you want to touch on, because obviously there's no specific home base where, you know, for myself, I follow my home teams. What do you find a lot of fans, um, like what are their deciding factors to start rooting for a specific team? Is it specific players? Is it the way the uniform looks? Uh, play on the field? Yeah. Um, so... I think if you are an existing lacrosse fan, so you either play the sport or you are a fan of one of the other leagues, um, 
you might have a favorite player. So if you like Paul Rabel, you are probably going to like the Atlas. Or if you like Tom Schreiber, you're probably going to like the Archers. Um, but if you're new to the sport or you don't really have any affiliation with any specific player, I have seen people <laughs> choose their team based on the logos and the uniforms. And I mean, credit to our design team and Adidas and our, we <laughs> have so much fun innovating um, on our logos and we get to start from scratch. Like it's, it's super uh fun watching our design team kind of test different logos, especially with our um, newest team, the Water Dogs. Uh, they, we were like, okay, what color palette haven't we used? Um, and it's it was purple. And we kind of like pulled a couple of different groups on, uh, including Barstool Sports, we pulled them on uh, different names. So I think people really get into the team identities and, and have fun with that because our, our logos look awesome. They're so sharp. Um, our merch does extremely well. People want to wear a hat with with the Water Dogs logo on it. They want to buy a shirt or a jersey. So um, I think that's how most team affiliations uh, have started. But I, I don't want to I don't want to speak for all of our fans. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And maybe kind of to start wrapping things up. Is there any specific experience throughout your career, whether it's with PLL, Tough Mudder, any of the others as well, that kind of sticks out where you really felt um, like you couldn't believe that you're working in sports or like, wow, I, I can't believe I get to do this every day. Um, yeah. I recently with the, the championship series, um, our, our quarantined tournament I was talking about, um, I got the, the chance and the honor to hand out or hand over the championship trophy to the whip snakes. Oh, wow. And, um, that was like, okay, you're going to be front and center on NBC. Great. Cool. Like this is how you do it. And, um, Mike Rabel. So I was handing it off to Mike Rabel, our founder, who was then handing it to the whip snakes. And it, it was pretty fun. We, Mike and I practiced, he just like stood on a couch um, and I was kind of like crouching down, like I was, you know, going to have to hand it up to him because he was going to be on stage. Um, and when that moment came, you know, they were popping bottles of champagne. They were, it was a fun mess on stage when when Mike uh, announced it and handed them the trophy. And and right after he did, Mike and I, you know, we had a big hug, and it was just like pure joy. Like, holy crap, we, we pulled off this tournament um, during a pandemic. Uh, this team is happy and excited. They won, you know, like this is not just a little like league. This is a this is a legit professional sports league that we built. Um, so I just thought it was kind of, you know, a culmination of all of our hard work and, and extremely rewarding. And there are few times, I think, in life when you feel like that pure happiness and you you realize it in the moment you know um yeah, yeah. It, it just it felt great it, it was amazing yeah that, that does sound amazing that's what a cool experience to just to be able to you know hand off the trophy mm-hmm. uh, and then the last thing i'll ask and i kind of asked this to everyone as well is there specific advice that you would give to maybe a younger version of yourself or maybe someone that's listening who just graduated or is um in school right now yeah um I have a couple points uh, that I've 
learned through my own experience and, and I touched on persistence already. Um, you know, if, if you want a job, don't give up. But but I also want to caveat this with um, make sure you you have class when you're following up. Um, you know, there's there's a line where it, if you cross it, it can become a bit um, bothersome to the person that you're emailing or, you know, you don't want to be annoying if you're constantly following up with emails. Um, yeah. so whenever I reached out, I kind of made sure I had a, a point, you know, I, I reached out, um, you know, back to Tough Mudder and said, Hey, I, I got this experience that you asked for. Um, I reached out, um, I reached back out to PLL when they launched the league and I said, Hey, I, I, so you guys just launched in your Sports Illustrated article. Congratulations. Um, I'm still interested in working for the PLL and would love to speak with you about any opportunities. Um, so make sure there's kind of like a point, not just like, hey, like t- checking back in. Like still want to yeah. work with you, you know, which is, is fine. But just, you know, I don't know. Um, try to start a conversation, uh, you know, make, make sure that you have a point to your email, not just like I'm emailing you again. Um, yeah. And then... One other part I wish I told myself was be yourself. Um, You know, especially in sports and events, you travel a bunch. Uh, There are times where I've spent more time traveling with my colleagues than I spent with my family and friends over a summer. Um, So be yourself in interviews, be yourself in work. If you can't be yourself, then you're wasting a lot of time with people and at a place where you're, you know, putting on a front or, or, you know, not, not being your true self. So if someone doesn't like who, who you really are, then you don't want to work with them anyways. So just be with, be yourself in interviews, be yourself at work. And I think you'll, you'll end up in the spot where you're supposed to. No, yeah, that, that's some great advice. All of that was good, but especially what you're saying at the end about being yourself because you're going to spend so much time working with them. I think that's something that that's not said enough. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for you know sharing that advice, your stories, your experiences as well. And unless there's anything else you'd like to add, thank you for, for coming on. No, that was great. Thanks so much, Chris. I would just like to thank Courtney again for joining us on the route as you know, it provides us with another unique perspective and some great insight as well. As you know, I try to do here with the podcast as it's always trying to be something a little different, whether it's a different league, a different position, or someone from a completely different country. I know we went on a roll here for Canadian guests over the last four weeks before Courtney, but um, I believe, what is it here? I think maybe the next four or five episodes will be a run of international guests with maybe one American as well, but it's definitely going to provide you guys with some unique dialogue as I don't think anyone else is doing something similar where they're getting people from all around the world and providing um, the listeners with such a diverse guest list as we are. And hopefully you guys are enjoying that as, you know, I love sitting down with these guests and, uh, you know, learning all sorts of things about themselves and and the positions they fill. And uh, one of the last things I'll say for today's episode, don't forget to stay up to date with all things Nesamento Marketing. You can follow us on all social media platforms, including YouTube, Twitch, etc. That's it for today's episode. Hope to see you guys next week. Have a good one. Enjoy.